following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Really, really good book. So a couple of solid months coming up. Um, Make sure that you're there. But we want to finish out Deuteronomy. So if you would, open up your Bibles. If you haven't done so already, Deuteronomy, we're in chapter 31 and 32. And if you're looking at your Bibles, especially a pew Bible, um, you're going to notice this is a big chunk of Scripture. Uh, These are a lot of uh, passages of Scripture. So I'm not going to read all these passages of Scripture. And if you're new to to church, maybe this is uh, something new to you. Uh, What do you do when the pastor preaches big chunks of Scripture? Well, it's easy. If he gets boring, you just read while he he preaches. (laughs) Um, And uh, it's, it's kind of, you have two options here. You can read as we're progressing through Scripture. You can do that. Or you can just kind of follow along with how I'm progressing through the passages of Scripture, and you can go home and read these uh, later today. Actually, since it's Father's Day, you could just do this at the lunch table. Like the whole Deuteronomy 31 and 32, you just read that uh, and see. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> just let me know how that works. Um, so a couple ways to do that. Uh, for those of you who've been walking with us in Deuteronomy, this is... Uh, the end of Moses' life, the leader, the author of Deuteronomy, and he has preached a series of sermons, and we're kind of getting into the last days of his life. So if you look at Deuteronomy chapter uh, 31, you'll realize that he is uh, advanced in years. He's looking at about 120, lived a very full life, and he's about to give over his leadership to a man named Joshua. Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, and Okay, so some of you have been here for a while, and the walls came tumbling down. If you don't know that, you don't worry about it, all right? It's not a big deal. But what's interesting is, as, as Moses gets ready to move leadership over, um, we see something come to light in our current time period that is very important for us. A few years ago, there was a philosopher, his name was Will Durant, and he said, civilization exists by geological consent subject to change without notice. And basically what Will's saying here is, he's saying the way we live and build our communities are often affected by sudden changes in the earth's and people's behavior. Natural disasters can change the world in a blink of an eye. People can change the world in a blink of an eye. And that's True that the world is changing in that ways, but Moses telling the people of Israel, going all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is also telling us that God and his word and his commandments remain constant and never change. And that's a reason to praise the Lord. His word never changes, it never shifts, it never goes void, it's always the same. And the Lord provides, just as he did with Israel, a solid foundation for guidance as we prepare for an eternity with him. And I woke up uh, a couple days ago and had like this little epiphany where we are truly in Exodus. 
And we are walking around in this world, and we're like wondering, like, where's the promised land? When is Jesus going to come back again? And the Bible says soon. He's going to come back again soon. And so we're kind of waiting for this to happen and transpire. And what should our attitude be as we wait for these things? How do we prepare for eternity? Well, look at the first uh, eight verses in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Moses says, for us to be effective. Now, back here, this is Israel. New Testament time, this is those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're called believers. The world calls us Christians. We we look like Jesus. We talk like Jesus. Hopefully, we look like Jesus and talk like Jesus. All right? And for us, Matthew 28 resonates with the first eight verses in Deuteronomy 31 because our job is to pass on the promise from one generation to the next. Now, look at this. At the time of Moses' death, He is still relatively strong. He's got pretty good eyesight, actually, even though he's 120 years old. Moses continued, verse 1, to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. So it's his birthday. (laughs) Maybe. It looks like it's his birthday. And he says, I'm no longer able to go out or come in. And the Lord has said to me a couple things. And he knows that he is not able to go into the promised land for two reasons. Number one, he's old. Number two, he is forbidden. So if you want to, you can write next to Deuteronomy 31, Numbers 20, which is where God told Moses he would not go into Canaan, which is the promised land, because of his sin. Now notice here that God's plan for Israel did not depend on any one human leader. God's plan depended on his power alone. He would be the one to destroy Canaan when Israel attacked, just like he did at Sihon and Og. And Moses reminds Israel of God's faithfulness in these first eight verses. And then he looks at Joshua, and he says, Joshua, you're going to be the one who will lead these people. And Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 is pretty much the same thing as Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be in fear or be in dread for these people that we're about to go in and overthrow. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And so Moses tells Joshua, do everything that God has commanded you. And he says, hey, listen to me, Joshua. You're not leading on your own strength. You're relying on the Lord's help and guidance. Okay? So he's passing on leadership. But he's passing on godly leadership. He's not given five basic leadership principles here, okay, from some secular source. He's saying, look how God has worked and moved. Well, how do you do that? How do you pass on that leadership with excellence? He says, verse 9 all the way through 13, teach God's commandments and promises to the people. Joshua, teach God's commands to these people. Tell them about the promises that he has made that comes true. Now, Moses told Joshua that, but if you look, it says uh, right at verse, let's go nine, Moses wrote the law, gave it to the priests. So it goes from Joshua to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord to all elders of Israel. That's leadership. Moses to Joshua to priests to the leaders, okay? And Moses tells Joshua, then the priest, the same thing. Leadership is never about just one man. It's many men saying the same things. 
A lot of people look at me sometimes and they're like, hey, your church. Note Jesus' church, first and foremost. Let's go there. Well, the church that you lead, help lead with elder support. We shepherd the flock. We all say the same things based on the gospel of Jesus Christ that was given to us in his word. Now, in ancient Near East, there's these things called vassal treaties. It's a type of agreement where people in power granted certain rights or protections to those in lesser power in exchange for being loyal. And in verse 9, all the way through 13, the same thing is happening here. Moses, look at verse 9, underline this, says this law. Not Moses' law, God's law. This law, the entire book of Deuteronomy, is given to priests to read God's law publicly and teach it to the people. Specifically, it would happen at one place. It would happen at the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths where debts were canceled every single year. Now, you're like, Pastor Jordan, why is this important? Well, okay, two reasons. Number one, you didn't have a Bible back then. All right, You don't have a copy of Scripture. You don't have this in your possessions. So you were to gain knowledge of Scriptures by being taught by priests and your parents through the public reading of God's Word. We do that right now. We're doing that here, right? You're trusting me that I'm giving you God's word. This is giving to you. And I'm trusting you as parents that you're giving this word back to your children. This is passing on leadership. Now, the second reason, when you came to the Feast of Booths, it was a reenactment of Exodus from Egypt. It was a time where people would remember and learn God's commands and promises and follow them carefully. Now, watch this. Moses knew that Israel would be disobedient. And so what he did was, he said, listen, if you are obedient, and if you do follow God's law, it will go well for you, but also for your children. The public reading and teaching of Scripture goes from one leader to the next leader to the next leader, from pastors to parents to children, and it fostered community. Notice that true community is gathered around God's word. True fellowship is gathered around God's word. So, so it's not, so when you're like, oh, we had a great time. We talked about the weather and food and all that other stuff. Well, that's good. That's good conversation, but you have to move from good conversation to godly conversation, which is around God's word. And we're always teaching future leaders God's commands and promises. Moses to Joshua, Joshua to the priest, the priest to the elders, and so on and so forth, from the parents to the children, all that other stuff. Now, it's Father's Day. Men, this is your responsibility. Like moms, you enforce that in regards to uplifting your husband, but men, this, this is ours. This, this is our responsibility. Well, it's their mom's fault. No, no, no. It's your fault. If something is a matter in the home with the children, it's your fatherly responsibility to take care of that, okay? That was fun to say. All right, <clears throat> verse 14. And the Lord said to Moses... Behold, the days approach when you must die. Now, here's the funny thing. I was studying this and I was thinking about it. There must have been somewhat of a relief from Moses, right? I mean, he doesn't have to go to the promised land. No more Israelites. Like, this is good. It is, it is a good thing. God, I'm done. I'm tired. Kill me now. That's, that's kind of the way I read it. Again, just Pastor Jordan's paraphrased version of the Bible. Um, but he knew all of the future challenges that were coming. Look at all the way through verse 22. It says in the second part of 14, Call Joshua, present yourselves in the tent of meeting, that I may commission him 
and get ready for the things that are going to come. Now, Joshua is commissioned twice. Once in the first couple of verses in public, and then here privately in the tent of meeting. Both ceremonies predicted and prepared Joshua for future challenges, and they were all based on God's commands and promises. God tells Moses here that Israel would soon turn to foreign gods. He knew that they were going to rebel. And because of that, God would withdraw his presence from them and give them more challenges. So God told Moses, ready for this? Write down a song that Israel can sing so when they're disobedient, they can sing this to me and return back to me. And Joshua was going to be the worship leader. He was going to be the song leader. So Joshua, ready for this? Is not just Pastor Joshua. He is also worship leader Joshua. And I, I can only imagine if he looked at Moses like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can sing, right? How many times do we say that? Now, in the Old Testament, you see it on the screen, songs are vital in regards to their worship, but it's also vital how things are passed down. Show of hands, just curiosity question as I was studying. How many of you remember songs that were sung as a kid? I, I just did it, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and you learned that from song right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? All of those songs you learned when you were children. Children are impressionable because of music, right? But it, it's not to end at, at, at children. It's actually sad when adults stop singing. So 150 songs are in the book of Psalms, and this was like Israel's hymnal. This was like their, their, their um words that they were to sing to God. You sing a song of victory to God in Exodus 15. Deborah and Barak sang a song of triumph after defeating the Canaanite army in Judges 5. And you see temple worship, 2 Chronicles. Jesus and his disciples gathered together and they sing a hymn. They sing together. They, they, they sing together, right? Like this is it. Now here's what's interesting. Bethany and I were talking about this song of Moses that's about to come up. And she said, isn't it interesting that there's no music in other words, the music's not written down, the lyrics are. Lyrics are important. They always have been, they always will be. Lyrics are what matters. Moses tells Joshua and the Levitical priests to place Deuteronomy next to the ark. That's the law, the promises of God and his commands to bear witness about what is to come, future challenges. And then he says, you sing. Even though Moses knew that Israel would disobey God's commands after his death, he equips them, and I think this is amazing, with God's law in one hand and a song in the other hand. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as the war. See, you guys sang all these songs as you were kids. And what is happening here is we're seeing effective leadership involves not only warning, but also equipping. Moses warns and equips with the knowledge and tools outlined in God's word. And God gives us two tools for our good. He gives us his word and he gives us his songs. And we sing those in any season of life that we find ourselves in. And we also pass them from one generation to the next. And we tell the next generation the importance of accepting and embracing and living out God's word in all you think, say, and do. Because life is challenging, amen? So how do I face challenges? I know the word of God and I sing the word of God. So we sing like Moses sings. Now, it's interesting here how 
we've moved on from stuttering and stammering into fluent song. This is, this is kind of interesting. Moses writes down this song, verse 30 of chapter 1. Moses spoke the words of the song until they were finished. I think it's interesting that the Bible has to put there until they were finished, which means some people probably checked out. And in the ears of all the assembly of Israel, and he gives this big, long song. Now, there's three reminders here that help us when we sing to prepare us for eternity. First, uh, let's go verse 4 all the way to verse 14. All of those verses are Moses saying that God is always faithful and just. Now, I know it's Father's Day, but parents, how often do you reiterate that to your children, that God is faithful and just? When you have a trial in your life, when there's a hardship going on, how often do you sit down at the dinner table and say, hey, God knows what he's doing. He's faithful and just. Moses calls, look at this, all creation, the heavens and the earth, to proclaim God's character and work. He describes God, verse 4, as the rock who is stable, who tells us that we're firm when we cling to him. The wise man built his. There's so many kids' songs that just start popping up in this, right? And he affirms God's work is perfect. He says he's always dealing justly with humanity. In other words, the Lord can always be counted on. In verse 4, all the way through 14, he says God can always be counted on. Now notice, it says their God. 16 times in Deuteronomy, Moses says their God. If we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he's your God. He's our Savior. He is always faithful and just. Now look at verse 6 in Deuteronomy chapter 32. It says, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father? Some of you had bad memories this morning when you popped up this morning because you didn't have a good dad. And as children of God, we look at this passage and we realize that your father, the heavenly father, is a good father. He created you and made you and established you. And even if your earthly father fell short, your heavenly father never does. Now, there's a metaphor there too as well. Like an eagle demonstrates how God is wise and he's caring. He's like a, a, a bird who nudges its young out of the nest to teach them to fly. Sometimes God's pushing you out of the comfortable nest, right? Some of us can say amen to that because we understand that all too well. Some of us are going through some hard experiences and so basically, if you were an Israelite and you're listening to this, you would have thought about slavery in Egypt. You thought, we would have thought about wandering in the wilderness. And you would have realized that God even made barren places fertile. James chapter 1, this will be on the screen. But it says, every good gift. Some people here today have been given a gift and you don't think it's good. But it's God given. And it was given at the perfect time. And it was from the Lord for your benefit. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? In the past two days, I've heard people complain about their job and their workplace and all this other stuff, and I thought to myself, you got a roof over your head, you got food in your stomach, you can even go buy food if you want to buy food. It's crazy to me how well we are taken care of. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, meaning all God gives is perfect and just. It is exactly what we need. It might not be what you want, but it's always what you need because he's faithful and just. And if we fail to come to God through faith in Christ, if we reject God's faithfulness and find ourselves dead in our trespasses, we would ask ourselves, what side of God's faithfulness am I on? And as children of God, we are under the pinions, as Scripture says, the wings of God who is tending to our needs. So that's the first couple of verses all the way through 14. Moses' song says, when you're going through trials and tribulations of life, preparing for eternity with God through faith in Christ, you got to know that he's always faithful and just. Then you go to verse 15 all the way through 31, and he says, make sure that he is the only one that you worship. Make sure that the living God is the only one that you worship. Now, the Bible constantly warns us how prosperity can be dangerous. It causes believers to forget dependence. This is partly the problem with the American church. We've become almost too prosperous. Did you know in church history, the biggest times that the church progressed were when they were persecuted. And so some of the uh, catalyst for change for us as a church comes from persecution. And in persecution, it reminds us, who do we worship? Do we worship ourselves or do we worship God? So Moses says, Israel, you're going to abandon God. You're going to worship these idols and you're going to provoke God to anger. Now look at verse 15. But Jezreelarun grew fat and kicked and you grew fat and stout and sleek and then he forsake God who made him and scoffed him at the rock of his salvation. And basically, Moses uses this metaphor like the kicking of an animal against its owner, saying how foolish it is for Israel to rebel against the Lord who is their rock. Moses says God's a jealous God. He won't share his people's affections with other God. To go against God is to welcome his wrath, which withdraws his providence and welcomes things like famine and plagues and severe wars. God is looking at Israel as just as he's looking at us. He's saying, why would you run to something that is instable when I have given you stability? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, and he's warning against participating in idolatry. And he says, believers that sacrificed to idols were offering praise to demons. Paul says, we choose to follow and serve God alone because we don't want to partner with demons. We worship God alone through Christ alone, not idols or things of this world. We submit to him and draw near to him in faithfulness. So the warning on the table is you've got to beware of prosperity. Like, it's funny to me how many people, God, just, I just want to be rich. I want to be all those things. A famous person once said, I wish everybody could get rich and have all the money in the world to see that it doesn't do what you think it's going to do. One guy replied to that. He's like, I'd like to find out. <laughs> but you got to be careful of prosperity. Look at Moses' song. This is Israel's song to sing in the midst of trouble that God is faithful we worship him alone, and he loves, it concludes, 32 through 43, obedience. God warns Israel that although he allowed their enemies to punish them, he will still hold them accountable. Even in holding the enemies accountable, Israel would only experience God's compassion if they stopped relying on their own strength 
and stopped worshiping false gods. The overall message in 32 through 43 is that God's goal was to help Israel and us see that he loves obedience. And in obedience, there is power over life and death. But obedience boils down to trust. And how much do you trust the Lord? How much do you trust that his word is sufficient and his song is sufficient? In difficult situations or attacks from our enemies, how often do we sing a song like the one that Moses commanded Israel? If we feel helpless and wonder why God would allow such things to happen to us, are we singing our own song or are we trusting God's power beyond our understanding? The song of Moses commanded Israel to sing and it forced them to take the focus off themselves and trust the Lord. When you sing, it takes the focus off you and puts it back on the Lord. When you sing God's song, you see the power to deliver from any situation or the power to go through any situation. Now, go to 32 and look at verse 44. Moses came... And he recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He and Joshua are there. I think that's interesting that they're both there, shared leadership right there. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to Israel, he said to them, take it to heart. Another way to say that, just what you prayed when you sang, plant it deep within us. Let it take root. Be obedient to it. Take heart. All the words which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children. Pass the promise from one person to the next. You live it out. Dad, more is caught than taught. Make sure that you're putting this truth into practice. And be careful to do all the words of the law. Don't be flippant with it. Verse 47, for it's no empty word for you. But your very life, and by this very word, you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. Those are good words. And that very day, the Lord spoke to Moses. Go up on this mountain to Arabim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite of Jericho. And look at the land of Canaan. And I think God says to him, see how good I am. I'm giving it to the people of Israel for possession. And you'll die on that mountain which you go up. And you'll be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people because you broke faith with me in the midst of your people. Of Israel at the waters of Merzbat Kadesh and in the wilderness of Zin because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. 52, for you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into that land I am giving you. I am giving the people of Israel. But we know Moses inherited the eternal home. And here's what I think happened. And here's the thing to think about this week. Men, let me talk to you. Women, listen in. Leading your family means leading in singing. Sing like you mean it and stop using the excuse that people don't want to hear you sing. If you can cheer passionately for your team, you can most certainly sing to your Savior in word and deed. And my question is, as I finish that, I just ask myself, 
What song am I singing that people are seeing? We get to the end of Deuteronomy and it closes with God calling Moses to climb Mount Nebo, see the place of his death, the land of Canaan, realize who he was and who the Lord was. And Moses knew through it all that God was good. So he kept singing and we reflect on Deuteronomy and we're reminded of the value and importance of preparation for eternity. You and I are wandering in the Exodus right now in regards to waiting for Jesus to come back again soon. And in that waiting, Matthew 28 comes full circle. And it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations and sing a song that declares God's unwavering love and faithfulness. Does your life, just let me ask you this question, does your life scream of God's unwavering love and faithfulness? The whole call from Moses is to go from this place with renewed conviction and purpose knowing that the Lord offers a sturdy foundation as you obey. It's so important. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, uh, it's Father's Day, first and foremost, which is our holiday, not your holiday. And we're reminded of just what a good, perfect, heavenly Father you are. And the call for today is really that we would examine ourselves and where we are at. And as Moses is, is standing on this precipice and he's looking out at the promised land, and you look at him and say, you have not been faithful. And I think that's the same thing that you say to us today. Have you been faithful? Have you been just? Are you utilizing what I have put into your hands? Are you utilizing what I put into your mouth? God has given you his word, church. And Lord, we're so thankful for it. And you have given us a song to sing because the gospel that resides in our heart. You've given us the free gift of the Holy Spirit who convicts us and teaches us. And sometimes, God, we put that down and we do not access that. We look way too much like the world sometimes. We embrace in worldly things. And you tell us we can be in things, but we cannot be of things. So we ask that you would help us not to be consumed by what this world offers to us, but allow us to realize that everything we do from here to our death or until Jesus calls us home is preparation for eternity. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your first step is to trust Jesus as Savior. God, I know I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed on the cross covers my sin. I come into a relationship with you by faith and trust. For those of us who are here today who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it is a prayer of asking for renewal. God, help me be too obedient to you. Help me to realize the importance of equipping myself with your word. Help me to sing. I've been passionate about sports teams and work and all these other places that I populate. And there are people in my life, Lord, that don't see Jesus in me. And so I would pray for transformation and for growth. I would pray that, Lord, you make our church a lighthouse. So that we'd have the opportunity to do what you tell us to do in Matthew 28. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So that we can make your son Jesus known both near and far. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.